Welcome to Geeks and Jocks Podcast. Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. This is Ryan Sullivan. Recording October 13th, 2020, in the early hours of that day. Hope you listeners are enjoying the fall, enjoying a little bit of warm weather here in the Northeast. It's going to be getting a little colder. Maybe a little rain, possibly, I don't know. But see what happens. Uh, before I get into the episode, just a quick little reminder where you can find this podcast. You can find it on Anchor.fm. You can find it on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and uh, Breaker. So, check it out. For this episode, I'm looking at probably a shorter episode compared to the last one, which was almost an hour and a half. It'll probably be more so just video games and sports altogether. You know, it's nice to have... <laughs> I was thinking about doing... Um, a game-related episode for this week, but it it's always nice to keep them on the back burner, you know. That way, you know, save it for save it for a rainy day. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, definitely a lot of sports-related stuff. Some more firings in uh, the NFL. Definitely some interesting injuries that have occurred, and you know, basketball uh, and in some of the play baseball playoffs and you know and talking about some bad umpiring altogether something that is common in sports something that's common in the baseball world so gaming definitely some highlights of the uh, what PlayStation could be doing with its PlayStation store Sega Game Gear turning 30 in Japan and and kids suing Nintendo (laughs) Oh my goodness! Uh, so, I guess I'll begin with the with, with the NFL because definitely a lot of stuff occurred over the last week, beginning with the Thursday night game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Chicago Bears. Definitely a, an interesting game in which the Bears won, escaped with a twenty to nineteen win, shutting down the Buccaneer offense, keeping them to field goals. Uh, at the at the second half of the game, it's just something about that that Bears defense. That's that's pretty much what I think has been keeping them on board for for the season, and that's why they're four and one right now. Because the run game hasn't really done much, despite a touchdown from uh, David Montgomery. Nick Foles looked okay. Definitely got better as the game went on, but still. You know, it's a question on how well can he keep going as the season goes on. Will we see the kind of guy that we saw in 2013 when he led the Eagles to the uh, to the playoffs and kept them going in the Super Bowl season of 2017? So far, he's looked okay. Nothing special, but it's not anything terrible altogether. And you wonder... Just can Tampa Bay get in the end zone in critical moments? Can they get Tom Brady to throw the ball to get some touchdowns? The run game is doing well. Ronald Jones had a fantastic game, over 100 yards rushing. 
can they just figure out a way to get first downs and get get into that end zone? And that I mean that's all you can really say. And it's a tight spot for the uh, division. I believe following tonight's game with the New Orleans Saints beating the L.A. Chargers, I believe all but Atlanta are three and two for the year now. It's, it's interesting without having uh, Christian McCaffrey, the Carolina Panthers have won three in a row. Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, give the guy credit for at least playing well in the defense, holding their end of the bargain as well. You know, I think it's nice to see some of these quarterbacks as well to get back into the fray and and get back to doing what made them what made a guy like Bridgewater great in the first place. You know, because it was devastating. Was it four years ago when when Bridgewater had that really bad knee injury and it took a while for him to to get back into form and you know it was a testing ground last year when Drew Brees was out for a while and he looked looked sharp played well and that's why Carolina got him to command a team that for all we know could have the potential to be a playoff team but we'll have to wait and see speaking of New Orleans I mean they just barely escaped with a win uh, overtime win against the LA Chargers Breeze did not look his sharpest early on, but with the comeback he had down 17 in the second half, definitely a big deal. And some will question his arm ability, which, let's be real, it's, you know, you could see the age coming at points. Not fantastic, but still throwing over for 300, and he had a rushing touchdown. Taysom Hill had a rushing touchdown as well. But when you look at the Chargers, already too many heartbreaking losses. And it's a shame because Justin Herbert, man, this kid, he's unbelievable right now. He's throwing for four touchdowns against one of the better teams in the National Football League. This guy can do it all. Just needs a win. And Anthony, Anthony Lynn, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You know, too many heartbreaking losses that have occurred over the last couple of years. I don't care whether it's because he had Phillip Rivers under center or just how the team has responded. And I mean, Herbert's keeping them in, in games, especially without having Austin Eckler. Their run game is still a bit questionable, and just offensively, they can do it. You just wonder what the problem is defensively. Yeah, you know, just getting picked by opposing offenses and finding those holes in the run game. The uh, receivers just far out playing better compared to what the Chargers had to offer, and just not a good situation right now. But the way the way Herbert's playing right now, I mean, he's gonna look for being the starter next year barring any injuries that occur the rest of the year, he's staying. And that probably spells disaster for Tyrod Taylor. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone will go after uh, Tyrod at some point. It just seems like he can't get a break over the last couple of years, especially when he was the guy that took, that took Buffalo to the playoffs 
for the first time since 1999. And they get rid of him in favor of uh, getting drafting Josh Allen. And actually, it looked disastrous, I believe, uh, it was three years ago when they had Nathan Peterman. Five interceptions in your debut. What is wrong with you, uh, Buffalo? Actually, Buffalo is having a really good year right now as far as as far as looking at at the Bills altogether. They're going to play their game against the uh, Titans tonight, which uh, probably I'll talk about in the next episode. Just all these issues with the Titans and the COVID-19 and the fact that they canceled the Broncos-Pats game, that's... That's a, that's a shame, really. It's been an issue altogether. There's been some players and staff members on certain teams that are testing positive, and you know you wonder how how well this will work heading into November and December. We're midway through October, and you have some of those games where people are going to be players are going to be playing in the snow. They're going to be in some really cold temperatures. I'm not sure if a bubble is possible by any means, but we'll have to see what happens. And the players have got to be smarter. they got to understand what's going on as far as the cold weather goes as we get further and further into the end of the year, as we still continue to go through this pandemic. It should be, should be an interesting matchup because uh, Buffalo still commands a really good defense, though they had to survive their game against the uh, Rams a while ago and 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 the Raiders as well it, Josh Allen's just playing with unbelievable stats right now and of course you have Ryan Tannehill who was one of the great stories last year taking the Titans to all the way to the uh, AFC Championship game and of course the running of Derrick Henry unbelievable what he was able to do uh, last year, and while not to the high level right now compared to last year, he's still the the guy that's going to be getting 25, 30 carries a game. Like this is this is I've, I've said it before. This is Eddie George territory for the Titans. Like this is a guy that's going to just keep pounding and keep pounding until that defense tires out for, for the opponents. I don't know. I feel like. I feel like Buffalo has the edge. I feel like they should stay undefeated and give the Titans, I believe, their first loss of the year. And all that aside, you had some other injuries that occurred lately, and you you question on whether some injuries are impacting the way a quarterback plays, like Jimmy Garoppolo, for example. San Francisco 49ers looked look good to begin the year now they're now they're struggling to just stay relevant in the nfc west they are two and three now and a huge embarrassing loss to the miami dolphins who are now two and three uh 43 to 17 loss i think it was ryan fitzpatrick this guy i don't know what it is with him he just keeps finding ways to stay relevant and it, it when he's good he's really good but then you get to the streakiness of where he's sharp the first week, and then the next week, he can't play worth a damn. He just can't. And he's done He's done okay with Miami. The records, yeah, the win-loss record, 
not good, but he threw for over 3,000 yards. He threw for 20 touchdowns, and he's thrown seven touchdowns against five picks, 1,300 yards. Uh, he's still capable of playing. It'll be one of the more interesting careers to talk about altogether, considering the amount of teams he's played for, the amount of starts he has done for the teams, especially when you look at Buffalo, the Jets, and maybe one or two other teams. He just keeps he he's on a whole he's on a whole level of just decent enough, but not enough to elevate himself to being good to great status. So I mean Miami's looking okay right now. They're 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 close to being in second place in the AFC East. As far as San Francisco goes, I mean it's gonna be tough considering Arizona Cardinals beat the New York Jets. Kyler Murray, his fifth rush he has five rushing touchdowns for the year now. He's he's playing real sharp and the defense has held its held its own the run game's still a little questionable for Arizona, but still, Murray has kept them in some games. And you wonder if this team is capable enough, capable enough, excuse me, to be a postseason team. I think there's enough. And I think they could surprise people if they were to get in. They could play. They could play upset. They haven't been in the playoffs in like three, four years now. Whatever they're doing, it's working. They just got to beat legitimate teams. That's what's going to possibly happen when they face the Dallas Cowboys, who suffered their big loss of the season as far as losing players go. Although a win against New York, it was a very bittersweet one with the injury to Dak Prescott. So, quick synopsis on Prescott. Fourth-round pick in 2016. Some speculated he could have been a first-round pick, but there was, I think it was like a, something like a drunk charge or something he had that resulted in him dropping a little bit. Fourth-round pick and with Ezekiel Elliott in the first round. They had a really good 2016. Struggled a little bit in 2017. Rebounded in 2018. Last year, put up his best stats of the year, but Dallas failed to make the playoffs. And he was playing for a big contract this year, and prior to the game Sunday, he was on a big tear, although it netted Dallas losses. He was he threw like 450-plus in passing yards in three straight weeks. That's how unbelievable he was, and prior to the game, he was near 1,700 yards, and he looked like he was ready to get a big paycheck from Dallas. And his injury is very severe. It His season's over. It's a compound fracture in his right ankle, and the right ankle is dislocated as well. So that's, so that's going to be a big devastating thing because this guy has played well enough and how will that affect how Dallas plays and how will it affect his future altogether? You wonder, is he still going to be the future for, for the team as the team now has uh, Andy Dalton under center? You know, sometimes it'll pay off having some of those guys who've had experience in the past and when something bad happens, you know, you got a, you got a competent backup and Dalton has played 
he's had what I would say a relatively good career. You know, he's put up a lot of passing records for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals in his nine years there. But you have to wonder, kind of like what happened with uh, Bridgewater last year, is this a test for Dalton? Does Dallas stick with him at some point after the season, or does he go somewhere else to show that he's worth a damn? Depends on how he plays. And it's not the first time the New York Giants have eliminated a Dallas quarterback from season play. They did that uh, 10 years ago when they broke Tony Romo's, Romo's collarbone, effectively ending his 2010 season in a year that was pretty much forgettable for Dallas. It would be a little while later when uh, Wade Phillips was fired and replaced by Jason Garrett. Dallas did get their revenge against them in the second second game of the year. But, oh well. But, not, but probably one of the few positive news to come out for the... Uh, for the NFL, it was the return of Alex Smith. So, a quick flashback to November 2018. Alex Smith was having a rather good year with the Washington football team when the uh, Houston Texans played them, and it was an injury very similar to what happened to Joe Theismann. It was, and it was like the same day when. Uh, Back in '85, when Theismann's career was ended on a on a injury, right around the same area too. Granted, different stadiums, but you get the picture. So his injury, Smith, was um, very life threatening. He had a lot of surgeries over the last couple of years, and it's. I mean, he, I figured he wouldn't play football again, but he he was in replacing Kyle Allen, who got hurt, and while it didn't result in any success, it, you know, it was one of the few bright spots of this 2020 season altogether, you know, just the fact that he was able to come back and play, you you don't see it, it's just the advancements in technology, you know, some people looked at uh, Terrell Davis, for example, you know, if he had the kind of surgeries that Adrian Peterson had when, when, Davis was hurt in 99 and 2000. You wonder how much longer of a career he could have had, you know, altogether. It's just amazing just, you know, the technology has gotten better to where we can diagnose these injuries a lot better and these players can come back, you know, just it may they may not be 100% for altogether for the rest of their lives, but but they're able to play the game that they've played for a long time unless they want to decide to retire or, or do still be involved in football but just don't have to be playing in a position. So definitely one of the nice things to occur during the uh, during this interesting year altogether. And that was one of the weird things altogether with Washington was not having Dwayne Haskins start. I mean, I I don't know what the reason was. I mean, Haskins hasn't had a horrible season. Although he had a pretty bad game against Cleveland a few weeks ago. And he didn't look horrible against Baltimore. Uh, unless, he, unless he had a fumble or something. He didn't throw an interception. He did run for a touchdown. Threw for 300 yards. 
uh, his completion rate I think was like 70%. Maybe maybe just the way they ended certain drives or something, I don't know. But it's weird that Ron Rivera wanted to to bench him in favor of Kyle Allen, which he did. It's just you you wonder what kind of a future Haskins has and I'll be curious to see who starts for Washington this upcoming week. That that'll be one of the more interesting things to occur um uh, this upcoming week. I haven't really checked if they're on a bye week or not, by the way, but yeah, the NFC least and you get you know, New York lost, uh Washington lost, Philadelphia lost, Pittsburgh had a really huge game against them. It was, I think it was like the first time they beat uh, Philadelphia in eight years, I believe. Maybe eight years, 12 years, I forget. But this uh, Chase Claypool guy had a huge game, four touchdowns, three receiving, one rushing. I mean, Roethlisberger, uh, Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh's having a better year than I think people realize, and Cleveland gets to face the Steelers this upcoming week, and this will be a true test for them if they if Cleveland can beat a legitimate team they beat the uh, Colts which I'll get to in a, into in a minute um, but the way Pittsburgh played I mean they're running the ball decently with James Conner he hasn't had any big issues at defense defense get, getting it done in the best at the best moments and at the right moments to be exact everything's clicking all together for the Steelers playoff team too early to assume but well from the way they're playing definitely they could be a playoff team and people might think playoffs for the Cleveland Browns they're four and one and the last time they were four and one and I read this on a tweet first time since 1994 that was a Bill Belichick team that's how good they are right now now the big question definitely will be the defense as they can run the ball they can throw it, but they have to be careful with Baker Mayfield. He can be a little streaky and not be sharp at points. Throw those costly picks that could that could hurt Cleveland badly. Sure, Nick Chubb ain't been contributing due to his injury, but you do have Kareem Hunt, who good good player you can run the ball with, and he's a good pass. He's a good catching running back prior to his suspension two years ago, I mean, seven touchdowns receiving with the Chiefs. You know, that, Hunt will definitely keep them in, in close games. But that should be the interesting matchup altogether, Steelers and uh, and Browns. And will Miles Garrett keep us cool? Because last year, he was the one that got uh, Mason Rudolph's helmet and struck him in the head with with Rudolph's own helmet. But interesting to see some fireworks. (laughs) Now the big thing that occurred is that was the firing of uh, Dan Quinn and the GM of the Atlanta Falcons, uh, Thomas Dimitrioff, I think his name was. And this is coming off a loss to Carolina on Sunday, and you wonder what the factor is. And, you know, I was looking a little bit into it just before recording this episode. 
looking at the uh, what the owner Arthur Plank had to say, and just the lack of winning altogether. Uh, Atlanta's 0-5 for the first time since 1997. They were 0-4 for the first time since 99 last week. They've struggled the last couple of years, following two straight years in the playoffs. I mean, the team has just—they uh, just don't have a defense anymore. They just—they find ways to blow it. Their play calling is kind of putrid altogether. That's something that's been a problem over the last few years. You, know, you wonder about Matt Ryan altogether. Just can they get something to work on offense? Can the defense hold on to big leads? This team should be at least two and three tops, maybe three and two. But alas, just the losses to Chicago and Dallas. It just, I don't know. I'm surprised they they fired Quinn. Mid almost midway through the season. That's something I don't get. I figured if they were going to fire him, they would fire him before the uh, before the uh, before the season. No, they would fire him after the season. Sorry. Uh, it just maybe just the pressure was on Atlanta to get rid of them following the firing of. Uh, of O'Brien in in Houston. That's just, maybe there was pressure there, even though there probably wasn't as high an expectation for the season compared to what, uh, what Houston had heading into this season. Uh, Pretty much probably a lost cause year. And you wonder about other teams in particular, like the Minnesota Vikings and the New York Jets. Jets losing Jets losing to Arizona and you wonder how much longer Adam Gase has left to coach and I don't know maybe they just let him coach the rest of the year same thing with Mike Zimmer a little bit with the Minnesota Vikings another blown opportunity to win a game and something that will bite him a little bit because there was a fourth down play late in their game against the Seattle Seahawks Instead of taking a field goal, which would have made it, I think it was 26-21 at the time, they could have had a 29-21. You force Seattle to throw a touchdown and get take a two-point conversion to tie the game. You force overtime. Maybe you get an opportunity to win. But their inability to convert on fourth down led to Russell Wilson having some big heroics again. And two touchdowns for DK McCaff. And Chris Carson running the ball and getting some touchdowns. Well, getting a touchdown. You know this this is their this is their guy. I mean they've done well with Carson over the last couple of years. You know a guy with stability for the first time since the 2015 season when they had Marshawn Lynch. Just right now you could say the MVP early on should belong to Russell Wilson. It's it's unbelievable the play that he's done. Sure he threw a pick early on and he was getting sacked a little bit. But some of it's on uh, Minnesota as well. And just Kirk Cousins just keeps struggling in primetime games. I don't know. Just the lights get brighter and he just finds ways to choke or the Minnesota chokes altogether. Despite some big running out of uh, Alexander Madison and Dalvin Cook, even though Cook got injured in the game. 
you know, you wonder if Zimmer's future is uh, on the line. And I don't think it will be. I don't think it is on the line, but there probably will come a point where just losing in those big games will eventually cost him his job. I don't know. I I would think they would stick with him for the rest for the, for the whole year. I don't see Minnesota giving up that easily. And there was something about like the losing culture altogether with Detroit, and this was something that I read. Uh, not too long ago, read it over the weekend about about the Detroit Lions and the losing culture there and stuff from Dan Orlovsky, who was the backup for the Lions for, for a good amount of years. He got to see how Matthew Stafford played and just the whole tenure of Matt Patricia, which I'm sure he and many others are critical of as the Lions have struggled to win games over the last two and a half years under Patricia and the way the team has been all together. And, you know, Orlowski wondered if if Stafford will ever be out of Detroit if he ever thinks about maybe going to another team. Because Stafford has taken a big pounding. I mean, his first couple of years he was hurt and just didn't, I mean, he had no his his first year was kind of mediocre, but he had one of the great games of all time against the Cleveland Browns. It was a tight shootout, and it resulted in Stafford getting his first comeback win of his career. But since 2011, he has been one of the big quarterbacks for the NFL. Nothing elite like, but still, he's. He's a guy that can that can make some big throws and and win some of the big games. And the last couple of years have not been bright enough. And really, it's been rough for his life over the last year or two because of the back injury he had last year, uh, the tumors of his wife Kelly, you know, the ki- having kids, you know, three kids in, within what like three years, just all this stuff and. It, it must stress him out a lot, and and it's just the the culture altogether in Detroit. I mean, let's let's be real here. That Detroit sports, particularly their football, has not been good for a very very long time. Even brief moments, like Barry Sanders, you know, he only saw the playoffs five times in his ten years, and when they were bad, they were pretty bad. And the closest they ever got to the Super Bowl was the 91 NFC Championship game, only to lose to Washington. And, you know, I mean, there is dedication to being with one team, but at some point you wonder if you wasted some of your best years on a mediocre team. Another guy that I can think of is baseball's Mike Trout. You know, he's considered one of the great players playing the the game of baseball right now and he's stuck on a really bad uh, LA Angel team. They have only seen the playoffs once in his 10 years as a as a baseball player. You know, you wonder at some point will he stick to the Angels or if he goes somewhere else and plays for a team that has a legitimate chance to win a World Series. That's what I look at with Stafford in the NFL even though he's broken a lot of Detroit Lion passing records, will there be a new coaching regime at some point 
could Patricia actually be fired before the season ends, actually? I'm not sure. They probably will stick to him, but it's a far cry from when they had Jim Caldwell and Jim uh, Schwartz when Stafford, when, you know, they, they had Stafford and they utilized him very well, especially especially when Stafford was healthy for Schwartz in 2011 when they had that receiving yard record that Calvin Johnson broke in 2012. That just wraps up the football for the most part. Just the year keeps getting more interesting and interesting there. So the NBA finished up their season on Sunday with the LA Lakers winning their their 17th championship, tying the Boston Celtics for most championships won by an NBA team. And barely anybody watched it. And this is going into the topic at hand for, I think, regarding LeBron James and just the culture of the NBA right now regarding their stance on stuff. And so overall, the NBA Finals, it's going to go down in history as one of the least watched finals of all time. And the league has struggled this year to get ratings for for their basketball, even before this pandemic happened. Their stances on China as a whole, the way some of the players are, some of the trades and everything in between. It just overall has not been a healthy year for the league. And then when you look at some of the political stuff that's been thrown in, and when you add in that there's all these other sports all together in the month of September and October, and quite frankly, the the matchup between the LA Lakers and the Miami Heat, it 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 turns off people. It turns off people in more ways than one. And even though it's a big win for James, who wins his fourth NBA title, and he's done it with three teams, won a title, it's something most people didn't want to watch. And one of the funny things is that Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, was uh, surprised at the low ratings. I don't know how you can be surprised, Silver. Because you you allow these people to do all this stuff and it turns people off. Now, obviously, you're, it was going to be a struggle anyway with trying to compete with the MLB and the NFL. I mean, actually, it was a tight matchup for the Seahawks and Vikings Sunday night. People weren't interested in it because it's Russell Wilson showing some of his magic again against Minnesota. You know, it's... And plus, you're not seeing all this political crap thrown thrown onto the NFL field. You, you mainly see it on helmets. And it's not the focal point of, of the NFL, although they'll have stuff like end racism and all that. Just all this crap that is said from these NBA players. And like I said, the the matchup between Miami and the Lakers, if it was a different type of team in the Eastern Conference, like, say, Boston or Toronto, maybe that'd be a different story. But I think Silver now is only realizing that the culture that he's created is going to have some big consequences, I think, for the league altogether. 
that's why I believe he's looking to get rid of all this political stuff heading into next season. Like none of the messages and stuff on the jerseys, on the court, you know, yada, yada, yada. He just, I think he's only realizing the potential lost revenue that can occur for the next year or two because of what he allowed him to do. And I think this is something he will have to look to suffer with a little bit because he gives these players and coaching all this freedom to say whatever they want, do whatever they want. And I would say it's bitten him in the ass a little bit. It's bitten him quite a bit. Now is the, is politics the only, the big reason why probably for some people, but like I said, the scheduling and the matchup, not good enough. And it's going to hurt for those TV contracts because of, you know, like I said, I I think I've said this before, maybe a week or two ago, or an episode or two ago, you know, the NBA is pretty much TNT's moneymaker. They don't really have many shows to go to, and ESPN, looking at ESPN, I mean, it's their big, it's their big selection of games. If it's not Monday Night Football, it's typically the NBA that gets them the most success. They don't really have much sports to go on. They got college football. You got the NFL, Sunday night baseball, Wednesday night baseball. You got the NBA, uh, maybe some tennis every once in a while, but that's usually on like on like ESPN two, and maybe a couple other sports. But otherwise, it's just NFL, NBA, MLB, and some college football. I just it'll be interesting to see how the next few years go for the NBA. And regarding regarding LeBron James, and we keep it's this is something that's just you know I read a tweet from from a guy from a guy I know Chet. He basically said it it's being overplayed the comparison between James and Michael Jordan, and I have to agree. I think it's just annoying when you have these people who worship these two players to this unhealthy, godly level. It's just, it's sickening beyond belief. I mean, I mean, these guys have played to a very high level in separate eras. I mean, Michael Jordan, I mean, was a freak. And could he be the greatest player of all time? Potentially. But I feel like people are quick to disregard someone like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who did just as much as Jordan and he was a driving force between for all those championships that he won for the Lakers in the 70s and 80s but the thing is I think people tend to overrate and I see this online a little bit tend to overrate the, the greatness of Jordan it wasn't just Jordan you had Scottie Pippen. In the early years, they had like Horace Grant, John Paxson, Bill Cartwright, and their share of bench guys that got them those first three championships in 91, 92, and 93. Against some steep competition, especially when you look at that 92 season when they're facing the uh, Portland Trailblazers. They had some great guys like Clyde Drexler, for example. And then you look at those three championships in 96, 97, and 98, they're facing some steep competition. They're facing the Seattle Supersonics with guys like Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, 
George Carl, I mean, it's probably the greatest success he ever had as a coach, coaching the Supersonics. But they were facing the 72-10 and 10 Bulls. And a little little different group altogether outside of Pippen and Jordan. You had guys like B.J. Armstrong. You had Ron Harper. Who else? Uh, Dennis Rodman. Rodman already had a couple championships when he was with the Detroit Pistons. But his defensive abilities, I mean, these guys can play defense. Let's forget... Let's not forget that, but Jordan was not the was not the only guy to, to really dominate. He had a great group altogether, and it gelled to form this big dynasty and just the 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 intelligence of Phil Jackson and all these other guys all together. I mean, that's what made them such an unbelievable team throughout the '90s. And guys like Paxson, who hit the game-winning shot in 93 to clinch the uh, championship against the Phoenix Suns, for example. I mean, it was all together a team effort. It wasn't just Jordan just bulldozing his way through through all these teams. It was all together a team effort. Then you look at James, for example. I think, I think the people have is that people tend to overrate, I think, the success of James altogether, the fact that he was able to do it for three teams. But the thing is, I think it's the way his attitude is altogether, the way he's built his teams by getting these superstars and being around superstars. Some can say the same thing regarding like Kobe Bryant a little bit, having some of these guys coming in. But I, I don't know. It's just they... They, it took a while for the Lakers to win with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, Derek Fisher. It's just not exactly super team label, but still. But you know, it was they developed their players. I mean, you look at you look at James and you look at Bosch and Wade coming in all too well. Well, Wade was already with Dwayne Wade was already in Miami. He won a title already. But the formation of James and Chris Bosh, yeah, there was it set off you know this need for these teams to want to create these a trio of players. You know, that actually happened a couple of years prior to to James going to Miami with uh, Paul Pierce getting Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett, and I think that's probably what motivated some of these teams. That's probably what motivated James a little bit to, to get a group together and win a championship, which he ultimately did, winning two with Miami. You know, it's just trying to get this this group of all these great players at first, and just trying to win a championship. You know, bench be damned and all that, and that's what he did with Cleveland with Kevin Love and. Um, getting him to go to Cleveland and both of them to join uh, Kyrie Irving. It's just a, it's just a mess altogether. I can't really explain much with James. It's just a mess, like I said uh, just a second ago. I don't know what really to say. It, it's just... It, honestly, I feel like just saying Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest player ever. F. Jordan and all that. It's like... it. No, that's not to say Jordan's a terrible player or anything like that, but it's just basketball existed long before 1984. We can look at some of these other great players and see the greatness. And I think it's also the new generation just trying to create this 
argument on who's the better player and all that in these older generations. It's like, it's so stupid now. I think if, it's just my thought, I don't think LeBron James would reach my top five. I think he'd have to go like, at least for me, I think Kareem would be number one and number two would be Jordan. Maybe Kobe Bryant beat three or four. Some people like to say Tim Duncan's a top five player. I don't know. Maybe top ten, top fifteen. Teen and maybe some other guys that are in the mix for being the greatest. I don't know. It's one of those things that I just it gets tiring. It really does. But I'll tell you what also gets tiring, moving on to baseball, is these umpires getting assigned these big games. And it gets annoying when you have to deal with a guy like C.B. Buckner. And it makes me wish that the Umpire Association for MLB would just disappear for good. Because they keep rewarding these bad umpires, these big games. I don't know what it has, what you have to do to get fired from it. It's like that episode of Seinfeld where George tries to find ways to get fired from the Yankees. And actually, that's the series that Buckner was in. Yankees Rays last week, and his his strike calls, I mean, he was doing it for both sides, and it was dreadful as hell. And I don't know what it is. It was just, they had him for that series, and you had Angel Hernandez. I don't think I heard any incidents altogether for the uh, Hernandez when he was umpiring the Padres Dodgers series it's just those bats got cold in uh, for San Diego and the Dodgers you know you wonder if it's more heartbreak or not for the team you wonder can they win a World Series this year might be it if they can just get past Atlanta Atlanta their first championship series since 2001. It ain't that hard to believe. They finally have won some series this year. You haven't seen anything like that in a long time. Not when they had that 90s group that just kept getting heartbreak after heartbreak despite winning one championship back in the 95 season. And Tampa Bay and Houston, I think with what's going on with Tampa, they're probably pleasing a lot of the people that don't care for Houston. And that's, pro- I don't know, it's but it, it'll lead to some uninteresting baseball because of the narratives of Houston altogether, even though Dusty Baker had no involvement in the cheating scandals. You know, but the players have, and I think there probably still is some bitterness regarding them. Altogether, considering none of the players got punished at all. And, of course, Tampa, with the way they... To me, analytics has ruined baseball. The way they do stuff, it... To me, it's just... It it, it just doesn't... Make for good good viewership. I just want, I just want to see a baseball game the old-fashioned way. Just... See these starters go six, seven innings, get a setup guy, and then the closer in these tight games. It just, you know, it's also sad. You know, no one really going for complete, complete games anymore. 
It's just obviously for 2020 that wasn't going to happen because of the pandemic and just not knowing how these players are going to be. And, you know, just just the just the ideal World Series matchup, it just isn't there. I mean, maybe maybe Atlanta Tampa or LA Tampa is going to happen. I'm and it's too early for a prediction, but it just seems like with the way Tampa is on a roll right now, they seem like to be the team to go to the World Series in for the American League. And that's something I think probably a lot of fans are hoping for. Someone other than Houston. Now I think now I think LA has the experience enough to maybe get into the World Series, but has Atlanta learned from their lessons from last year and elevated themselves to a higher level? You just have to hope for that city that they don't experience any more uh, heartbreak. You know, the last time they were in the World Series was back in 1999. They were swept by the Yankees. They had a pretty good record. I believe they started the series in uh, Atlanta and then ended in Yankee Stadium. So that's about it for the sports. And moving on to to games, this will probably be the last thing I'll do for the uh, episode because I mean, honestly, there really isn't much going on for for movies and television. I mean, there are some promotions for some new shows. And some shows returning to television. I don't know what else really <laughs> to discuss. <laughs> you just hope for some of these shows to come back and provide a good distraction. So anyway, uh, so lo- earlier last week, the Sega Game Gear turned 30 in Japan. And it was a portable handheld system. It was designed to compete with the Nintendo Game Boy, and it had a decent, decent life altogether from 1990 in Japan, 91 the rest of the world, up through 97, 98 in uh, certain parts of the world. I uh, got a re-release in 2000 when uh, Majesco Sales took did some re-releases and. There were some uh, a handful of games that got re-released for it. Yeah, I think it was like there was at least like a dozen or so titles. But altogether, it was it was not the hugest hit, but it was the biggest competitor for Nintendo up until the uh, PSP came out in 2004, 2005, and it was a system that that. It, there was a bigger presence for Sega's handheld compared to um, Atari. Uh, Atari tried competing the first couple of years of its life in 89, came out the same time as the Game Boy, uh, the Atari Lynx. And it didn't have really the huge support. Like, it was doing okay, from what I understand. And then when Sega got into the handheld uh, competition... You know, it had a little more presence. It got some third-party support, not to the level of the uh, Game Boy, but it was still ser- it was serviceable. And but I think the price point for it, I believe, it was like a hundred forty bucks when it first came out in '91. I mean, that's a lot of money compared to 
I believe it was 80 bucks for the Game Boy. It might have been a little lower by then, but who knows. And there were some games that cost 40 bucks. I mean, that I mean, that's a that's a lot of money to shell out for a handheld. Like some of the like some of the games, I don't think it I don't think a majority of them made it to that level, but there were some games like Mortal Kombat. I I saw this via video in a mag of a magazine being shown like like Mortal Kombat was like 40 45 dollars. That's that's very pricey. I mean, you might as well be getting a Sega Genesis or Super Nintendo version of the game. And the brightness of it, the colors, uh the the battery life definitely didn't help. It was I think it worked for like 3 to 5 hours, maybe 4. And it it provided enough time, but it wasn't as strong compared to the uh, Game Boy. And the Game Gear was also known for having some bad capacitors altogether, and it would make the system not work as well. There have been places that that have done repairs. Some you can do it yourself, or you can send your Game Gear into a place to get it repaired. Maybe get a better screen altogether. And I, I mean, from my personal experience, I've I've played my share of Game Gear quite a bit over the last ten years, and you know, from what I've played, it's not a bad system. It could be better, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, I've played uh, played Evander Holyfield's Real Deal Boxing, kind of a mediocre game. You're better off playing the Genesis game, uh, Majors Pro Baseball fun game. Very, very good baseball game. Arcade-like and it it doesn't have any major issues compared to some of the Sega Genesis baseball games Sega made. Uh, what else? Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse. That's a great game. Uh, it, it's a different type of game compared to the Genesis, but it a lot of people hold it to high regard and there's a good reason why. It looks, it was a great game graphically it had, you know just the charm of the Disney rodent and just the gameplay the platforming and throwing stuff definitely a big classic you had some ports of Genesis games like Streets of Rage um, some some liberties and some removals of specific features but still it played like a Streets of Rage game and it played rather well uh, you had your share of some of the sports stuff like NBA Jam and yeah, Sonic games, Sonic 2, very mediocre on the Game Gear. Uh, I've seen the Master System version of it, and it's uh, pretty... I would say get the Master System version over the Game Gear version. At least you can see see better than than on a handheld. Uh, this is just some of the few examples of the uh, my experience of the Game Gear. And some of it's been good, some of it's been bad. I mean... You know, 30 years altogether. Fun little system. Uh, would I pick? Would I have it over? Would I want it over Game Boy? Probably not. But probably at some. I probably would have if I was. If I was around that time frame, I definitely would have had a Game Boy first, and probably would have waited a while to get a Game Gear. Especially for some of those titles that came out around like 93, 94. Yeah, Game Gear. So, 
two more two more things I'll talk about. Um, this one's a funny one, and it's it's also uh, an issue altogether with uh, Nintendo. Uh, there was a kid that that was suing Nintendo. Him and his uh, the per the kid and its mother they were suing Nintendo for Joy-Con drifting. So. The last three and a half years, the Nintendo Switch has been a huge success for the company. It has done really well. It's rejuvenated Nintendo. They've got a huge library of games physically and digitally. It's got some big ports of games that you didn't think would be possible via the Switch. And altogether, it's been the big thing for Nintendo. And it's going to be an even bigger deal for it because of this 3DS being discontinued. But the big issue pertaining to Nintendo is the controller, which they call the Joy-Con. So, the Joy-Con, it's it's hard to explain, but it's like holding two controllers together and you know, you have one it, I don't know, it's it's hard to explain, but you know, you can attach them together into one controller, and you play it in ways like a like a regular controller. And there's stuff where you'll need like one Joy-Con for like specific like motion control type stuff. There's some games that utilize it in that way, and maybe some basic uh, controlling for say like a platformer, for example. Uh, but the thing is, it, it it's something similar to uh, it's something similar to the issues that people have with analog controls, with analog sticks, going back to, say, the Nintendo 64, you know, for the last 24 years, you know, when you see stuff like the N64, all four PlayStation main consoles, uh, Xbox, eventually these, these controllers do wear out over time, and maybe you might have a moment where the controller is not working to the level that you want it to be and you're causing a little bit of drift and when you're controlling your character and you stop the character might be moving even though you're not moving the damn thing and it's been a problem altogether it's become more common than I think Nintendo realizes and it's gotten to that point where you have this kid suing them because of I think they had the I think they had the system for a little over a year. Their original controllers, their original Joy-Con started drifting, so they decided to get another one. Doesn't even go a full year, and and the replacement controller has issues. Now Nintendo can repair them for free, but the thing is with these controllers, they're not cheap to get, and it's something that is. It's not just Nintendo. It's just these last couple generations of gaming altogether, controllers are not cheap to get. You got controllers that, uh, like 30 years ago, you could get a controller for like $20. Maybe more, maybe less. But you could get like a Sega Genesis controller for 20 bucks. I mean, that's, I mean, back then that was probably a, a lot of money, but it wasn't like it was prohibitive. You see controllers now for the PS4 that go for like $65. 
That's basically like buying a freaking game. And same thing with the Switch controllers. They're like 70 bucks, 80 bucks. What am I, 1993, where I have to buy a cartridge for 80 bucks? It's just ridiculous, the prices for some of these games. <laughs> Back then, it that's basically what it is with the controllers. That's essentially what it is. And it's a little frustrating because, you know, not everyone wants to utilize the... And there's some people that will stick to the uh, pro controllers and to avoid the issues of using the Joy-Con controllers. I don't know what to say out of all that for Nintendo. It's just a bad situation altogether. I mean, eventually they are going to have to address it, and there was something... It was, and, this, and this story's been put on places like Nintendo Life, and it, some some places mentioning about the lawyers and Nintendo saying it isn't a big deal. Um, it kind of is a big deal because there are some people that are shelling out $80... just to have working controllers and it's becoming so common of a problem and it's a problem that one of these days I mean down the road sure you can fix them yourself but not everyone is going to fix them themselves they're not going to they don't want to mess with their controllers altogether and you know there's a point probably in probably 10-20 years time when the switch is finished uh, people are going to buy these used, and they may not have a clue on what to do, and they can't just send it to Nintendo to to get it fixed. Uh, they're going to have to figure this out sooner or later, and maybe just or maybe just find a better manufacturing plant. Maybe just find a better plant to to do better design on the controls, and maybe just maybe just better plastic or something. I don't know, but it is something Nintendo will have to fix. So. I'll end this episode with the uh, with a story that could be true, and whether or not. So take it with a grain of salt uh, regarding PlayStation Store. So PlayStation Store has been around since November 2006 when the PlayStation 3 came out, and has been implemented on pretty much most of their systems. Uh, came to the PSP in 2008. It was around when the uh, Vita launched, when the PS4 launched, and it'll be in, around when the PS5 launches in November. So the, so the uh, PlayStation Store is your way of buying games digitally, buying certain things like avatars, add-ons for specific games, movies on certain platforms, and it's for for stuff like PS3, PSP, and Vita is your way to get to play stuff like PS1 classics, for example, and maybe find some specific themes that go with your uh, with your system. And you could visit them via the store on those systems, or you could go online to to the website or on your phone. Now, I'll just say this. um, The stores are active on all those systems with the exception of the PSP, which ended their... which you couldn't access the store after March of 2016. But with 
this is the supposed rumor. I don't know how true it is or not. But the PlayStation Store is getting a revamped website on the 19th of October for the website and mobile apps October 28th. And what they're thinking of doing is removing the ability to buy anything regarding the PS3, the PSP, and the PS Vita. Now, that doesn't mean those stores are shut down. It just means you have to go through their stores altogether. Just on their on their respective systems. And if true, uh, it, it doesn't bother me as much compared to some people. Because when you look at the PSP, the PSP has been done since 2014. There have been some games that have come out over the last six years. But it's it's a few of them have just been digital, and that's about it. I mean, nothing that's a huge deal. But it, if you want to find your way to buying a PSP game, just get it on the Vita or PS3. And with PS3, uh, I can't say I'm, uh, I can't say I'm shocked. It it is a little bit of a bummer, but altogether, I can't say it's, I can't say it's entirely bad. I mean, inevitably, I mean these these stores are going to shut down at some point. I mean that's what happened with the Nintendo Wii. Uh, they had their services on for a little over 12 years and January of last year they shut down the Wii Shop channel so you can't buy Wii Wii Virtual Console stuff WiiWare games there's no way to get back there's no way to get access to it no way to purchase it unless you probably find a online place where you can where you can download the ISOs and all that. I don't know. Just, and I could see it happening at some point with the uh, Xbox 360. Inevitably, that place will shut down at some point, too. So I'm not entirely surprised with the PS3. And I mean, it's been out for almost 14 years. And what's funny is it actually got a new release back in August, uh, Shakedown Hawaii a sequel to a game called uh, Retro City Rampage. And this, it might be the last title you'll ever see on that system, barring any homebrew or anything like that. And as far as as far as Vita goes, it, I mean, who bought the damn thing anyway? It's still getting releases here and there, mainly digital games, but altogether, I mean, the Vita, the Vita's been dead for a long time now. So I can't can't blame them for wanting to remove it. Uh, the thing I would say, um, as far as searching for stuff on PS3 and PS Vita, this is the thing that, especially for PS3, it's atrocious. The store altogether, uh, it's a little slow, a little sluggish. If you're looking for stuff, I would use the search engine, and I discovered this. Uh, earlier uh, this week definitely like I said use the search thing because 
the lists they have, it's not 100%. And the big example I can say is with the PS1 Classics. Um, they say there's 97 games in the list. Um, that's not true. Uh, use the search engine to find stuff like Crash Bandicoot, uh, Medal of Honor, Gex, uh, Rayman, Siphon Filter Trilogy, uh, Spyro Trilogy, and probably a few more dozen other titles that got released on the PS3 and you could play on the PSP and Vita and all that. Um, it's going to be the only way to, to buy PSP games along with the Vita. only way to get those games. You have to purchase through the PS3 store and the PS Vita store. And so, I mean, like I said, take it with a grain of salt on whether this is true or not. I'm not sure on it, but altogether, I mean, if true, I mean, get what you can if you if you have a PSP only. Otherwise, good luck. I mean, digital, I don't know what else really to say. It's just digital is not always the great the greatest thing in the world but these systems have been around for a very long time I mean like any system they deserve to rest in peace so that's episode 46 of Geeks and Jacks as a reminder as I said at the beginning you can find this podcast on Spotify Anchor.fm Google Podcasts Radio Public and Breaker so with that This is Ryan Sullivan for Geeks and Jacks. Hope to hear you listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, protect yourself, take care, have a good night. Enjoy the day, everyone.